Welcome to the Real Estate Espresso Podcast, your morning shot of what's new in the world of real estate investing. I'm your host, Victor Manash. On today's show, we're talking about taking prudent measures. In recent weeks, I've been made aware of two high-profile portfolio failures. These are cases where the principals have taken advantage of the rising market conditions and the ready availability of funds from people to invest, and they've used those funds to further the expansion of their portfolio. There's a number of strategies that these investors have used. They borrowed funds unsecured from private lenders. In some cases, it's been secured funds. In the case of one of the companies, the sponsor used a joint venture strategy that's commonly used by investors who look to partner with a single investor. These small deals have largely flown below the radar, but the lender is a passive partner in the project. They're expecting a profit from the investment, and the work is being done by the other partner, who usually puts in little to no money and does all the work. Their contribution is the sweat equity. There's lots of real estate education companies out there promoting this kind of joint venture strategy. The problem is that these deals are joint ventures in name only. According to a securities regulator, this situation is the textbook definition of a security. Now, let me be clear. I'm not a securities lawyer, and the purpose of this show is not to provide securities legal advice. You need to consult your own competent professionals. As I understand it, any time there's a passive contribution of funds with the expectation of a profit through the efforts of others, then you're probably in the realm of a security. There are a few exceptions to that rule, but generally speaking, any time there's that passive element, you need to figure out, with the help of a competent professional, whether you're dealing in securities. It didn't matter that there was only one investor for each single-family home. And when you scale this up into the hundreds, the big picture says these structures look like a security. Now, in this instance, the portfolio was performing acceptably well. The regulator's attempt to intervene to protect investors actually precipitated the business failure and put the investors in harm's way. Now, of course, the regulator assumes no responsibility for their role in harming the investors. The second case involved a borrower leveraging assets in their portfolio to buy more assets. Each time there was equity available in a property, the owner would borrow against the property to create cash to buy the next one. Only problem is that the investors only got to see each isolated deal at the very inception. They never got to see the global picture to see if the entire portfolio was over leveraged or not. They were not notified of secondary financing on the properties, nor were they made aware of unsecured loans against the properties. The net result of this investing spree was an over-leveraged house of cards, where the equity in the entire portfolio was actually negative. Understand that this failure took place in a rising market. Even if the portfolio had not failed today, then failure would have been a near certainty in a rising interest rate environment, or even with a small amount of downward pressure on prices. These types of portfolios are reminiscent of the irrational exuberance of 2007. In those days, there was way too much money floating around the system and lenders were being overly aggressive. Back in 2007, lending ratios were too high, debt coverage was not being properly scrutinized, and the underwriting criteria was far too lax. But that was 2007. We're now in 2022. The industry has learned its lesson and won't repeat the sins of that real estate bubble. Yet somehow, these situations are able to occur with alarming regularity. I spoke with both the owners of these failed businesses, and they assured me that they thought they were doing everything properly. They were getting legal advice every step along the way. So what is it that enables these situations to occur? Clearly, they were not getting advice from the right professionals. Many people don't know all of the different areas of legal specialty. They ask real estate lawyers to incorporate a company for them, and then draft a company operating agreement for them. The client doesn't even know to ask securities questions. 
Sometimes, these lawyers choose to practice outside their area of expertise, and the clients think that they're covered. There's millions of small businesses out there. Most of these businesses start out as self-funded, and then when they run out of cash, they look to friends and family and then further afield. Many are unsophisticated, and the passive investors are completely unaware of securities regulations. I often see rookie investors undertaking their first couple of deals with little in the way of formality, and when the first deal gives a good result, they jump to the conclusion they can do it again and again and again, and before you know it, they're doing deals the wrong way on a large scale. I believe it's incumbent on you as an investor to do your due diligence. You need to ask the deal sponsor who they're using as their legal counsel for corporate law and for contracts law and for real estate law and for securities law. These are not the same lawyer. And if they're not engaged with all of the right legal disciplines, chances are good they've got major gaps in how they're running their business. As you think about that, have an awesome rest of your day. Go make some great things happen. We'll talk to you again tomorrow.